This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. I'm Ray Harkins, and this is 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, and thank you for joining us. I have an incredible show this week. It is a old-time friend, a he made an appearance on the first iteration of this podcast, where if you dive way, 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 way back in the feed, you'll be able to find the conversation I had with him. But Evan Weiss from Intuit Over It, and um, I, I just love him as a human being. And uh, it took me, I don't know why it took me so long to, I guess, have him, quote unquote, back on, even though technically he didn't make an appearance on this thing. But um, we had such a uh, a great conversation, and keep in mind also uh, this was uh, before the election, so I you know we didn't really have any political talk in there. And um, for those of you that gave me feedback in regards to the political episode I posted recently with my friend Joey, thank you very much. I appreciate the kind words that you've uh, injected to me. Or uh, you know, if you're critical of it, uh, that's fine. You just didn't write me, <laughs> and that's that's fine as well. But uh, yeah, so Evan is on the pod, and um, I'm just very, very excited about that. But uh, before we dive too far into this, because uh, yeah, I'm gonna get uh, get pretty real here in a minute. I uh, I have to because I just I, I love this person, this human being who is helping putting this together. So Outer Loop Records, my friend Mike Mowry, uh, who is also the proprietor of this uh, Jabberjaw Media podcast. You know, you hear those drops at the very beginning and the drops at the very end. And for those of you that are in the know, you know what's up with that. Basically, you visit that website and you'll be able to find a bunch of different podcasts that uh, have a lot of great stuff going on. But anyways, he runs a management company and he also runs a record label. And uh, I'm really excited about this because uh, he, he not only does he have a good ear in regards to uh, what I would define as good music. And now keep in mind. This, you know, some of the stuff that I, I might play you might be a little left of center of what you're used to hearing, um, but that doesn't matter. This is uh, this is what I would define as good music. So I got to play you this this thing first. Um, the band is called Migosh, 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 which it's funny. They actually have a pronunciation video. It's M-E-G-O-S-H. And uh, it's funny. They have a pronunciation video. Like I mentioned on YouTube, you can find it pretty easily. But um yeah, they have a song called uh, I Stole From The Dead. I want to play it for you, and then I'll, I'll give you some some links at the very end of this, and I'll uh, let you know where to purchase that. But um, here's the song, because that's really, that's what does most of the talking. You don't need to hear me describing it and talking about it. You just need to listen to it. So here's that song.
go. That was Migosh. And uh, yeah, check it out because basically they've they've relaunched. They had a, you know, a soft launch a couple of years ago, but now they've got four new bands, Migosh, Chasing Safety, Youth and Revolt and Lauren Ashore and uh, go into allinmerch.com backslash or not backslash, but slash outer loop. So allin.com slash outer loop. And if you're in the New York City area, November 17th, the studio at Webster Hall, they got all of those bands playing under one roof. And that's a perfect night to go out and watch some uh, some good music being played in front of you. So thank you very much. And you can buy tickets, obviously, at WebsterHall.com. I mean, uh, I, I presume you probably knew that. But if you didn't, then there you go. But uh, yeah, thank you very much to Outer Loop Records and uh, my good friend Mike Mowry. He's a great human being and a past guest on the show. You can dive back if you want to hear more of his story because he's got a good one. So um, I don't mean to uh, really bring this down, but uh, I have to obviously talk about something that's happening in my life currently um, because um, my wife has cancer. And it's uh, it's really difficult and really fucked up to talk about. Um, but at the same time, um, these are things that I'm currently experiencing. And I would f- I would feel weird if I just kind of acted like everything was normal on this podcast moving forward, um, because really, uh, you know, the next whatever, six months to a year to basically the rest of my life has been, um, you know, affected in so many ways because, you know, obviously cancer is an ongoing battle. And there are many people that are affected by this. And, um, you know, I've had family members that have battled it in the past. And I know that probably you listening to it right now, you have stories of people that you know that have been affected by cancer. It's a horrendous disease. Obviously, uh, people do what they can to uh, cope with it in many different respects. Um, I'm just basically putting my head down, you know, uh, doing work and not putting my head down as far as ignoring it, but just uh, being able to... um, you know, focus on keeping myself busy, uh, because really if I'm, you know, walking around in some, you know, stupor of sadness, it's, uh, it's not going to help my wife. It's not going to help my family. It's not going to help us be able to get through this because, um, really the idea is that we obviously, and she in particular should beat this. Um, fortunately they've caught it early. Um, she unfortunately has a very rare case of cancer and we will be finding out more information as the, uh, the weeks roll on. But, um, Yeah. So if you can please, you know, whatever you believe in thoughts, prayers, all of those things that, uh, you know, people commonly refer to in these sort of trying times for people um, are appreciated. You know, I know that those are are all kind of, you know, cliches and thoughts and prayers and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I get it, but it truly does mean the world to me when people reach out to me after I, you know, post on social media about the, uh, the struggles, because I mean, it's interesting because my wife does not exist on social media. But uh, obviously I do. And so I'm able to kind of uh, get feedback from people who have never met her and say, hey, we're supportive. If you need anything, let us know. And um, it's just uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing when you feel a community rally around you and obviously family rally around you. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm dealing dealing with currently. And um, I will do my best to keep you updated on this. And hopefully I'll be able to progressively give you um, good news on her recovery. And, um, yeah, please, please keep us in your thoughts and whatever it is that, uh, you may, may do to show support from that perspective. Cause, uh, yeah, I really do appreciate it. So, whew, all right, let's clear, clear the deck on that one. Now, uh, like I said, Evan from into it over it is here and, uh, well, he's not here right now. That would be kind of weird if I was just sitting next to him, me talking to him or talking at him. Anyways, I've lost my train of thought, but that is not the important part. Can't even talk anymore. This is it just goes to show you how obviously emotionally affected I am by this thing. I'm, I'm keeping it together for you guys. But uh, it was a great conversation with Evan. We went to a lot of different places. And um, I'm very excited because his uh, Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And he is a uh, big Cubs dude. If uh, memory serves me right. And if it doesn't, then call me stupid. 
But um, anyways, here's my discussion with Evan, and I love him, and I appreciate him being on this podcast, and I hope you uh, love him and appreciate him sharing all this stuff with you. So here you go. Here's Evan. You and I became such fast friends, like even though we existed in each other's orbit for quite some time, but we had just hadn't met. Um, to me, the relationship I have with you is very emblematic of, you know, I'm sure a lot of relationships that you have too, where it's like you meet a person and you immediately have this like large history of shared experiences and you just kind of like, you know, walk right into like an old pair of shoes or something. Um, totally. Like, do you, you know, do you, I, I presume you obviously notice that shorthand with people you kind of run into where it's like, Oh, like you and I, you know, haven't met, but we've like done so much of the same stuff. Like, I I presume that's a pretty exciting thing for you to, you know, still obviously have those relationships, but then create new ones. Yeah, absolutely. It's becoming fewer and farther between these days. And it's actually making, it's actually made me going, not to go back to the conversation we were just having, but it sometimes makes me feel like, you know, I'm the old grandpa, like, get off my lawn, you know, and right. and that's a scary feeling. You think that when you're, like, in your 20s, you're like, I'm never going to be that guy. I'm never going to be, like, the old dude, you know, or I'm never going to be, like, I'm never going to forget. Uh, I'm not going to, like, stop keeping track of what's popular or, like, stop keeping my head in the game, you know, and, and then by no fault of your own, it kind of just happens. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know, and it's, uh, and you begin to just like, um, you get caught up in your own life and what you have going on. And, and all of a sudden you blink and there's like new shit that you just don't like, you understand it, but you just don't, you weren't there for it. Yeah. You know? And so when you spend so much of your life being there for all like the kind of bigger, uh, social, political, or like, um, uh, media kind of things and then all of a sudden you find yourself not being a part of those things it's definitely like a super weird sensation and I'm not saying that like I'm the fucking old guy because I still don't think I'm the fucking old guy but it's something that I've started to notice and uh, and it's something that will unfortunately happen to all of you whoever's listening to this podcast <laughs> no dude I it totally yeah because I, I mean obviously everybody that you know has been influenced by you know punk and hardcore reaches a certain reaches a certain age where you know you just don't have the bandwidth to keep up as much stuff as you once did because obviously when you're younger you've got a lot more time to you know care about like the stupidest shit possible yet it's so awesome that you're paying attention to it at the same time but right. but then you know you just get absorbed in other stuff you know where it's like you know, you may obviously not have, you know, whatever your finger on, whatever pulses you had when you were, you know, 10 years younger, but then you might have your, whatever, you know, you, you mentioning the fact that obviously you, you know, are experimenting with synthesizers and stuff that you probably wouldn't have never even thought of, you know, whatever, even five years ago. But now, now, now you're like, okay, this is a new thing for me and I'm excited about it. Yeah. It's like learning how to, well, like, so I, I, you know, maybe, maybe like three or four years ago that I'd, uh, I think I'd come to my wit's end with punk. And that doesn't mean that, like, I don't have bands that are, exist now that I'm, like, super psyched about, because I do, but it's definitely much less. Like, I used to, you know, just get psyched all the time about new records, new bands, new things that were going on. And in that time, I kind of try to figure, I felt kind of lost for a year or so. Like, what do, what do I listen to? What is, like, like, I don't know what new music to check out, you know, and I, and I hadn't found anything that felt exciting to me. And, uh, 
And not because I don't feel like there's like not a lot of new stuff being made that's awesome, but because I felt like I was such a, and I still feel like I am, um, I'm a, a big music appreciator and I own a lot of records and I buy, I go to a lot of shows and I see a lot of things and try to enjoy as much media as I can. And so when you're like, kind of feel overwhelmed with media, you kind of start running out of places to go. And so I, uh, of all the things that I've discovered in the last year that I've decided to go deep on, especially coming from a background of punk and hardcore, I've really fallen deep into this world of new age solo acoustic guitar players. <laughs> I, dude, I love that. That's amazing. And so I've like gotten really, really, really deep in to a couple different record labels, like, you know, there's like a lot of neoclassical, like none such record stuff, and and uh, this record label called Windham Hill, which is run by this guy William Ackerman, and I've fallen really deep into these these um, kind of ambient, new age ish, uh, just sort of beautiful either guitar or piano compositions from like 1977, and that's been like the new. That's like my new punk is right. is discovering this kind of like subgenre of musicians from the 70s who were misunderstood and, uh, you know, performed solo and were writing this music that if you really, frankly, if you listen to people who play Star Like Me or like Mark Hoblick or any of the Kinsellas, like it's like they were doing that in the 70s, you know, and it's, and it's just these beautiful music, you know, but it's like such a, it sounds so silly, you know, because these labels, these things that I got into, these were like the same labels that in the 80s were like who broke Yanni. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. You know, it's like, and, and like when you're growing up and you're born in the eighties, like I am, you know, you like think about like Yanni's a fucking clown, you know? It's like him and John Tesh get put in the same <laughs> category of like, Oh, these are posers. But they're just like jazz musicians. Right. You know, that like I didn't write, you know, on the fucking flute, you know, <laughs> you're supposed to get upset about. But so, you know, I, uh, I've just fallen really deep into this one like that and I've fallen really deep into like a jazz wormhole and it's like these days in our apartment very rarely is there music on that uh, has vocals in it. Mm-hmm. You know, more often than not just like a lot of like, uh, you know, um, what's, the, what's the label? It's very much like, an, like the early Antilles, uh, you know, kind of Brian, you know, kind of catalog and then sure. a lot of modern modern ambient music like stuff like the Lubium or like the Tempered stuff and then um, you know and then also just like Windmill kind of guitar playing stuff yeah. and uh, that's brand new punk you know and I, it's fucking funny to think about like you know I still like I still bought the Angel Dust record the day it came out but I you know, like, <laughs> right but right. like new like for me like this new thing that I can get excited about that I know nothing about kind of like what it was to discover you know, subculture when I was 15, this is like my new subculture. Yeah. Well, I think to me uh, that uh, it's exciting because obviously it's like, you know, so many people reach a certain point in their life where, you know, music just becomes less important to them because of, you know, like we were talking about earlier where it's like, you just don't have the time to pay attention to stuff, but it's like for people, you know, like you and I, and obviously many people that listen to this show, like their curiosity keeps leading them you know and i think that that's that's when it becomes sad when a person just kind of gives up and they only listen to the stuff that they got into when they were you know 18 to 23 years old you know if they if you don't if you don't evolve that's when it's kind of like oh really like so you're still listening to you know it's like just the first two brand new records and like that's it like that's all (laughs) that's that's all you got 
I've never been that way. I've never, ever been that way. You know, like, I, I still love the records that I loved when I was young, and I still love the records that I loved when I was 26, you know? Like, and I still love the records that I loved when I was 29. It's just like, but to, I need to be able to keep finding stuff that keeps me excited about music, and if I'm not, then I'm just like, I'd feel, I'd feel like what I do for a living is ultimately sterile. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I can't, if I can't find new things that keep me excited about listening to music, how am I supposed to keep doing things that would make me excited about making music? Yeah. So it's, fi- um, well, no, it's a really good point. Cause yeah, you're, you're, you're essentially filling your tank with, uh, you know, different things, you know, it's like if you relied on the same set of influences you had when, you know, you first started creating music, it's like, you know, you wouldn't, obviously you'd be nowhere <laughs> near where you are today, but just that. Well, you think that, you think that, I mean, that's, that's debatable too. You know, you, you think like, well, so many bands, can crank out the same album for so many years and people still keep coming back or love it or rediscover a band, you know, and that's like, that's never been my vibe. I've never, um, you know, like <clears throat> after writing proper, like I could have written another proper, mm-hmm. but that, but that's not fun for right. me. That's not, like, <laughs> right. That's I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be emotionally stimulated by that. And it could have been cool, but it wouldn't have been like, I wouldn't have been satisfied creatively or, or artistically. And I think, and even with any like, I could have written another record that was kind of like Intersections. I didn't want to do that. Like, that was stressful and, and hard, you know, and it's, uh, it, that ultimately is just on my vibe. I think a lot of bands can have awesome careers writing the same album or, or sticking to an influence or sticking to a sound for a long time. But, um, I mean, dude, look at ACDC for fuck's sake, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, totally. I mean, yeah, when you, sometimes people obviously fall into, fall into a mold that they're like, there's no way that we're going to do anything different, not only just from a creative standpoint, but then, you know, the fact that they employ so many people that rely on the fact that ACDC needs to sound like ACDC. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're uh, you, obviously you were you were born in New Jersey. I knew that, um, but then you know, like I, I just I don't know much about your your family structure in regards to like you know, we're mo- mom and dad obviously present. Like, do you have brothers and sisters, or how, yeah, yeah. how does that break down? I, I have a sister. She is 22. Okay, um, which so she's a cool 10 years younger than I am. Yeah, that's a, that's uh, like different generations almost. <laughs> Totally, and I think it's I think it's played into a big part of us, like kind of only recently having a relationship. You know, it's not like it's not like we didn't get along, and it's not like we didn't. You know, we were never like um, we never fought or anything. But I think by you know by the time when she was born, I was ten. By the time she was five, I was fifteen, sixteen. So I'm already like out of the house, hanging out with friends, playing playing bands, doing all sorts of stuff. By the time she's by the time she's 10, I'm 20. I'm out of the house. And then, um, you know, so most of her, like, formidable years, like her teenage years and stuff, and, like, when she starts getting into shit, like, I really wasn't present for that. And it wasn't because I didn't want to be. It's just because I wasn't around. You know, I literally had moved out. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that being said, you know, I was able to leave Aiden with my, when I moved out, I was able to leave her with my CD collection that I didn't want anymore. And, um, you know, I made the full transition into vinyl, and, and then she kind of inherited uh, 20 years of CD collecting. And I think that was, uh, you know, I wish I'd had that. <laughs> you know, like, I wish I had an <laughs> older sibling bestow their fucking, right. their, uh, their punk years onto me, you know. So, Aiden's cool, man. She's so cool. She's, she's way cooler than I was when I was 20 years old, and I was just a little fucking shit, but... 
she, uh, you know, she, she got started young. She was going to shows young. She plays in a band now. Um, she graduated college last year and, uh, you know, that's rad. And my, my family's awesome, man. They like, I came from a house where, um, independent music and, and, you know, kind of punk rock and, and being a little different was encouraged, you know, and that was, um, that was huge. Yeah. You know, you can't, really not a lot of kids get that. And you don't realize that when you come, when you're born into it, you don't realize that not a lot of kids have that until you, you know, get into the real world. And then you're like, oh shit, like every family didn't have MTV. And like, what do you mean you didn't hear Wendy Williams until you were 25? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, were yeah your, so, what were your parents doing for, uh, for work? Uh, well, so my mom, um, my mom and dad met by playing bands. So my dad, my dad was playing like um, kind of like soul and, and uh, funk kind of stuff. Like he was playing like Moog and, and Prophet Five and like some um, kind of like soul funk bands in the Philadelphia area. And then my mom <clears throat> played in a new wave punk band called Denny and the Dropout. Dude, are you? This, that's unbelievable. I, I had no idea <laughs> about that that connection. That's amazing. It was actually the band that she was in, that in the Dropouts was like one of the first groups that worked with uh, Andy Wallace, who was like one of the huge 90s producers, right? right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and they fell out of touch, but, uh, you know, they, they, they met by their bands kind of like working and performing on the circuit together. And then, um, you know, and then I was born in 84, like the band, their band had broken, getting the Dropouts had kind of broken up right before I was born. And, um, and so since then, you know, my dad, while like right up until I was born, was playing in a band, going to school and working the job all at the same time. And um, right after I was born, he started a job with some people that he went to college with. And so he was working in like a, a, a computer pharmaceutical industry kind of deal. Um, he still does. He still does now. So and then um, my mom's just kind of stayed at home with us. But they would play in like a wedding band together on the weekends and, um, you know, and she's always had a kind of, you know, side gigs to make some money, like, you know, working from home craft stuff or, uh, she worked at Crate and Barrel for a minute, you know, like, mm-hmm. just kind of stuff like that. But she was really present, you know, we were, when we were growing up, my mom was always present. That's amazing, dude. That's re- I mean, it's cool because I-, I can easily see why you getting into what you got into wasn't obviously a foreign idea to them. They were just like, oh, yeah, our kid our kid is taking after our footsteps, even though, you know, he doesn't directly know about it yet. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I wanted to play guitar, they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, there was no fight. Right. I think they were kind of a little like, huh? You know, like at first, like, oh, great. This is, you know, maybe they were hoping I'd become like a lawyer or something. <laughs> no, totally. They're like, we, we know how hard this life is. Uh, so uh, ho- hopefully he decides for something absolutely. a little more soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, my dad, absolutely, man. Like, just like, you know, and he's probably going to listen to this and be like, you know, maybe roll his eyes, but he's totally, you know, thought, uh, didn't, they didn't try to talk me out of it, but it definitely was like a, oh, you know, this is a phase and, and you'll, you'll get through it, and, you know, and then, and then you'll figure it out. You know, just make sure you have a backup plan and blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah. And me struggling with authority and, uh, and not being able to take orders or criticism from anybody, uh, was like, fuck you, mom, dad. You know, like, I'm going to make it work. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, like, yeah, pursue your dreams. Maybe I would have been like, fuck this. I'm going to 
fucking go to school. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and so speaking of school, like, was it, was it one of those things, like, obviously once you started to get introduced to, you know, subculture and music and that started to be your identity, um, you know, did you have kind of anything going on before that as far as like things, you know, were you a sports dude or like, did, you know, do you like video games? Like, where were your passions lying before? Yeah, I mean, you know, a fucking I'm a white guy from the suburbs, man. I liked all that shit. Yeah, I, you know, like, I, totally. I, like, I played, uh, I played varsity baseball in high school, and, and um, and I did like theater, and I did, you know, uh, I actually came from one of those high schools that was like not really like the stereotypical high school, which you'd imagine. I don't know if you've seen the new reboot of Twenty One Jump Street. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like in the new reboot of that movie, like the, the dudes go back to high school to you know stop the drug bust, and the, they're surprised to find out that like the art kids are the cool kids, right? They're like the kids that are like you know there's no there's no like if you do sports you're like the king and you like make fun of the theater or art kids or whatever you know like that's like the classic model but like the the creative kids get shoved in the locker while the jocks you know rule the school so. That was not the case in my high school. It was, it was super across the board. Like everybody kind of got along, and it was it was pretty chill. You know, there was definitely some like classes, like clicky kind of stuff, but it was never like the jocks versus the the burnouts or anything. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All, all the cliches so, like, that you hear about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if anything, the jocks were the burnouts. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like you know, I I. Uh, you know, it was kind of pretty well rounded in high school. The only thing I didn't give a shit about were my actual classes. I really loved all the extracurricular stuff, but um, you know, I felt like a walking Max Fisher. Like you just do all the extracurricular activities, but you don't actually study. And um, and so, uh, you know, I, I I did all that shit, and I think the one thing that really kept delivering and really started making me happy, especially as I hit like sophomore and junior year, which is playing music, and I think. Um, you know, like going to shows. I was at a show like every night. And I grew up right outside of Philadelphia, so like every single night there was something going on. And my parents were cool. You know, they had, would drop me off at the show or take me to the train station or like, you know, allow me this opportunity to be able to go. And they trusted me and my friends. And so, um, you know, I really took advantage of that. <laughs> no, totally. So, well, I, I think, you know, so many people that obviously have these like really adversarial relationships with their parents, um, you know, I, I always looked at because I was very much like you. My my parents encouraged whatever it was that I was into, and as long as I you know kind of s- stayed in the line, so to speak, like I, I got to do what I wanted to do. And uh, all my friends that you know constantly were in trouble or had to like sneak out and all this other stuff, I was like, dude, if you listen to like seventy percent of what they say, like you'll be fine. Like don't make fun of yourself. You know, I just never understood that. Yeah, that was the big thing was that I, I was straight until I was twenty three, and yeah. so I think that was like huge thing for them that they knew I wasn't going out and getting into trouble. Like right. they just knew that I wanted to go to the show, you know, and they knew that I was coming home with like the shirt or the record or the thing and sitting in my room and listening to it and enjoying it. And, um, and they met all my friends, you know, they met everybody that came over and everybody, you know, for the most part, all my friends were, were you know, just like me. So it was, they, they kind of knew that I was harmless and that the stuff that we were getting into was probably pretty harmless as well. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until, yeah, it was probably like the junior year where I made like the, the full switch. Like, like any extracurricular activity I was doing was kind of taking away from me being able to play in a band or go to a show. And so that was eventually just like, well, fuck this. I, I just want to play in a band and go to a show. Right. Um, and so I just kind of dropped out of everything, you know, which I guess in one hand makes me a quitter, but 
um, sports was the one that was really heartbreaking. Like I really, I really did love playing baseball Mm -hmm. and I, and I didn't want to stop doing that, but eventually it wasn't about the game anymore. It was about winning. And I don't, I care to an extent. I am a competitive person. I absolutely am the first to admit I'm a competitive person. And my friends would all tell me that I'm highly competitive, but I think it's like I'm highly competitive maybe in like the realm of people who are involved in punk and don't care about sports, you know? So like not highly competitive in a realm of sports. So like surrounded by even more hyper competitive people than myself just made, just sucked all the fun out of the game. It wasn't, it wasn't fun to play anymore. I was getting, you know, you're like a 17 year old kid getting yelled at by 40 year old men, you know, like, well, you know, like, fuck this. I can go to a place, you know, 15 minutes away from here where nobody's getting yelled at mm-hmm. and it's on the same page and everybody's having fun and everybody participates, you know? And it's like, why would I want to sit on the bench and get yelled at by some grown man? You know, like, who has no idea what I'm about or what I'm into or, or what my motivation for playing the game is, you know, or if, even if I told them, they wouldn't understand. So like, yeah, eventually I just, I just gave up, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't worth going through that every day and getting, you know, shit on a practice and leaving feeling terrible. Yeah. So, no, it's, I, I'm glad you vocalize those feelings because I, I do think a lot of people, um, run into that, especially it's like, I mean, you, you know, very few people obviously have aspirations to be professional at a sport, but it's just one of those things that you enjoy. And then like, you know, everybody always has that moment that they can point to where it's like, Oh, that's when I stopped enjoying it because, and it's usually in relation to, you know, coach or some authority figure being like, Oh yeah, you got to step on this other person in order to win and get to the top or whatever. And you're just like, but that's not me. That's like, that's like 2%, that's like 2% of people that play sports. And those are the people who, you know, who are like, yeah. Who, who are like, I mean, everybody loves winning. I mean, you yeah. you'd be a fuck that you didn't like to win, but it's like, you know, it, it just wasn't why I was there. I was there because I was having fun and I like, you know, the camaraderie and, and the team, like the sportsmanship, you know, and, and that, you know, has helped with really actually it's helped greatly that, that experience has helped greatly with, with, um, being able to communicate in, in a punk sense, you know, like, because that, what I desired out of baseball was kind of the community aspect. And then, uh, and also help me enjoy sports more now as an adult. You know, like I, I've come back to it in recent years and cause I feel like I, I feel like there's this kind of line in the sand that gets drawn when you decide to elect, you know, pursue politics or pursue some culture. And you got to like, you can't, you can't like both, you know, like one represents good and one represents evil and you can't be, supportive of both things and I think like in you know and, and I've been shamed for uh, you know enjoying um, competitive sports and stuff like that and I think I've, I've recently decided that I don't care anymore and that I'm going to enjoy what I enjoy <laughs> not let people make me feel guilty for playing things like fantasy football <laughs> absolutely yeah you, the, 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 uh, that's a total that's a vestige of the past you know it's like the whole idea that you can't like this one thing because of you know it, it being completely the, the opposite of what your you know either political or philosophical beliefs are concerned it's like well yeah but then there's also really important things that are happening in sports because they're cool <laughs> About, I've thought about emotional response I've had to the arts, right? So you like, you could go to see a movie and you and you you get an emotional response. You cry perhaps, or like listen to a record and something can move you to tears, or you know watch a play or watch a um, you know watch a performance and have it really move you. You know, 
and I feel like I haven't been consistently moved by anything as much as I'm consistently moved by professional sports. And it's because there's, it is completely unpredictable. It is something that is not scripted. It is something that is never the same twice. And it can't deliver on this just like emotional aspect of, of just like, you know, victory is the most common in all, in all art. Victory is like the most common uh, theme. You know what I mean? Like there's good and there's evil and, and you want to see good triumph over evil. That is like the most classic theme of, of literature, of, of, of anything. So to be able to witness that on a professional stage day after day after day across like multiple different genres, whether it be, you know, uh, baseball or hockey or football or basketball or anything, you know, so, um, it's like you're, you're witnessing, you're witnessing in some form, like a David versus Goliath every day, dozens of times a day, dozens of times a day. And it's like always feats of unusual human strength or unusual, uh, uh, human athleticism, you know, and that's to me, is just like such a beautiful thing that it's something, and it's also something that most humans can't do. So you're watching something that you wish that you could do yourself, that you can't do yourself, that someone else is able to perform. And the beauty in that is insane. So you know, I, I found myself getting more, like more and more just like, man, I, you know, I've listened to, you know, hundreds of different records and nothing has ever moved me the way, you know, watching the 1993 Philadelphia Phillies play the World Series movie. Right. You know, or like watching uh, uh, watching the Cubs last year. You know, and I'm probably going to be watching the Cubs this year the same way. Like, just so excited to see them. They haven't won in 110 years, you know, 108 years. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, it's like these these things, like, yeah, there's there's obviously negative things attached to, you know, anything. But it's like, yeah, the, the pure, raw human emotion and the shared experience, like, that is obviously why, you know, it's important. Like, that, 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 yeah, they, they, they freaking out, you know, like, have that, they're kind of emotional, like, when the Cubs are winning, crime is down, the right. city is united. Like, it, it, it feels insane. Like, Chicago feels like a different place. Right. You know, and like, and that's, that is exciting. Like, the story is exciting. The way it brings the city together is exciting. You know, and, and that is like, uh, that was really what clicked with me this year, is that I don't really care about the, the winning or losing or the sport itself. I care about the story and about the humanistic side of it and the, um, and what it can do for a surrounding city. You know, like, watching, like, I wasn't rooting for Cleveland in the fucking NBA final this year, but the way, but what it did for Cleveland as a city, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and that's exciting for me. That's exciting to see my friends get excited and, like, you know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and the, uh, what, was the last time a fucking, what was the last time a punk record did that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Probably, probably Green Day's Dookie. <laughs> <laughs> I am so, so excited to tell you about this week's sponsor, and that is because it is Berkeley College of Music, but more specifically, Berkeley's online courses. So most of you are probably aware of this school, but if you're not, 
It's basically the creme de la creme, the school that you go to when you're serious about music, either performing or learning about the music industry. They do not mess around, and it's absolutely incredible. So whether you're a musician, a producer, a songwriter, or an industry professional, Berkeley Online has the program that is completely right for you, and they offer online courses and programs for all skill levels from beginner to advanced. Courses and certificate programs are open enrollment, so there's no admission or application process, and their online classrooms are super Interactive, You know, you're not just showing up and people are being like, all right, whatever, here's, here's a dumb essay, do this. They are really engaged. And uh, classes are capped at 20 students, so you'll always be able to speak directly with your instructor and get personalized feedback on all assignments. Berkeley Online also offers a fully accredited online bachelor's degree program. So, like, here's some majors that you can tackle. Music production, music business, guitar, songwriting, and more. Tuition for their programs is 64% less than the brick-and-mortar campus in Boston. So basically, if you are in a touring band, if you're like, you know what, I want to get this piece of paper that obviously says I'm a smart person, but then also this process of me learning will make me a better individual overall. This is what you need to do. So please go to online.berkeley with two es.edu slash words. So that's online.berkeley edu slash words because this is a program i wholeheartedly believe in like most of these uh you know music universities um you know are, are just are just shim shams they're they they don't teach you anything you don't learn anything but berkeley college of music college of music does it the right way so please go visit the site check it out because i'll bet you there's something that is very very right for you so thank you very much berkeley and here's my conversation with evan Jumping around here just because, you know, I mean, uh, obviously you are, you know, very open to, uh, you know, interviews and people talking about you. So I, there's a lot of stuff I won't, you know, belabor like, so what was it like recording proper? Because we don't need to do that. But um, the, you know, something I found so interesting with obviously your progression, um, not only as a musician, but then just the, the public perception of what, you know, into it over it is um and was where it's like you know obviously here you are as this you know individual that's creating songs under a moniker um and then obviously as you continue to you know gain more notoriety popularity whatever you want to call it um you got to a point where it's like you know in order to be quote-unquote taken seriously where it's like it's not just you know evan into it over it doing this cute little you know punky acoustic-y thing and to be like hey like i'm a serious musician you know like i'm not just you know doing kid shit over here in the corner so to speak um there's obviously a decided motion from your perspective towards that you know obviously whatever either it's signing with triple crown and you know playing certain shows um I presume that was like, obviously, like I said, a deliberate choice, but then also I'm sure you kind of wrestled around with that idea of like, Hey, like I am doing something serious over here. Don't just view me as this, this, you know, sort of one trick pony. Like, do you, you there's no real question in there, but just kind of walk me through your thought process in regards to that. Um, well, I mean, I think it's, I've, um, it was funny. I was kind of goofing, uh, the band Flashing and I were goofing on a Twitter exchange today about that. And I, not really about that, but I, I made a joke about how I really just like to do what I want. And that's been kind of the, the ongoing thing with Intuit Over as long as it's been going on is I just want to do what I want. You know, like I, and what I want may not be what the people want or what anybody who listens to this wants, but that's not why I'm doing it. You know, and that's, um, and much to the chagrin of, you know, people who support this project or put, or, you know, put money into it, you know, and it's like, I, uh, 
where would I want to start with this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always taken it seriously. But when you're young, when you're a young band and you, and, and you just want to get started, you just, you're, you're trying to figure out ways to be able to just continue to do it and sustain, you're not afforded the options that you are when you're a band that's 10 years into your career. You know, so, um, you know, at the beginning, it's kind of just like, take whatever you can get. These are your options. You have to, you, you've got one or two and you've got to, you've got to take them because it's either you go on this tour with this band that you don't sound like at all, but you can either do that or you could go home and you could find a, a nine to five or you could go home and you could, you know, punch a clock for somebody. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's really just a question more less, less so of, of, you know, me not taking it seriously or other people not taking it seriously or, or it becoming this like, going from a young, you know, a young band to a, a more adult band, it's just kind of a, a question of options. You know, like, I've, you know, I always wanted to be touring with a band. But getting started at the beginning, I couldn't afford to properly take care of a band. You know, and even now, I wish I could, like, afford to, you know, supplement people who are performing with me better than I can. You know, like, it's not, you know, like I want to be able to pay everybody, like, a fucking million dollars and that's like you can't do that so um, you know at the beginning it was just kind of like well these are my options I could either I could either go on tour and play with um, some bands that are you know that that I you know maybe wouldn't necessarily like that's, no I shouldn't say that because I, every tour I've been on I've had a great time and mm-hmm. I've, I've never I've very so few and far between. It's like like maybe like two bands in ten years who have ever rubbed me the wrong way or done something that I thought was really messed up. You know, and it's like, or who I didn't have a good time with on tour, or who I didn't think the shows were good, or that I didn't align with in one way or another. You know, like I, that's unfair for me to say. But you know, you I, I've also been such a huge fan of um, just wanting to try as many different things as I can, try to tour with as many different bands as I can, try to play. Uh, with as many different musicians as I can, try to release records on as many different record labels as I can. You know, like, that's, for me, that's exciting. That's the exciting part, is collaboration and um, taking, learning from different places, learning from different experiences. And so that's been more of that. Like, more more in line with that is that, you know, I just like to try different stuff. Right. And not just kind of be like, oh, well, this way works, and that's the way I'm going to go with it. You know, and that goes back to the conversation about writing the same record over and over again. It's like, that's not why I do this. That's not, that doesn't interest me. You know, I don't, I have no interest in putting out the same record on the same record label for 10 years. You know, that's just not my vibe. You know, and it won't be my vibe 10 years from now. There'll probably be another two or three record labels in between now and another decade if I decide to keep doing this. So, um, that's more of where that interest lies is less of people trying to take me seriously. Cause you know, the, the, you can't decide whether or not people are going to take you seriously or whether or not people are going to enjoy what you do, but the, but you can decide whether or not you are enjoying what you do and you're being satisfied by the art that you make and who that, who you're working with to, uh, release or perform that art. Yeah. You know, and, uh, no, I like the, the train. I mean, the, the 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 thing that I find most interesting in what you say in all that is the fact that it's like you, you know you are 
when you when you start you have limited options you know and by limited options you mean just like okay well you know i have to pl- i'm playing this all ages venue because you know that's like literally the only thing i can do and that's the only thing you really probably deserve to do you know you don't you, right yeah and so you gotta cut your teeth and every yes. band's gotta, gotta work hard and bust their ass and and you know everybody's gotta play the pizza shop at three did you, did you see the movie green room yes so good so there's a scene in Green Room where the where the band is to play. It's like before the abduction set, where they have to like uh, they're playing in a pizza shop at 3 p.m. Right. in the middle of like nowhere, Oregon, to like you know a bunch of people who don't want to watch their band. And that was like I had a real moment of PTSD watching that scene. I actually thought that was like one of the scariest scenes in the movie. I was like, man, that is. Right. That is real. That's some real shit. Especially, too, because they're, they're trying to get that $30 to get them to the next venue, you know, the yeah, next exactly. show. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that is real. And every band has had to do that. And, like, the bands that haven't had to do that, if they haven't, that's awesome. But most of the bands that I know that maybe haven't had to do that, they've also, like, realized that they're lucky or that they, uh, you know, they know that they maybe... Um, yeah, either that they're lucky or that they're, you know, if they're taking less money and they're doing really successful, that they know that they have to earn it, that mm-hmm. there is like a, a curve, you know, that kind of everybody operates under that is just being fair to, it's like respect to your elders, you know, like, <laughs> you're like, you're like, everybody did this, we got to do it too, you know, it's like cutting our teeth, just like anything else, you know. Yeah, it can't just be handed, it can't just be handed to you. Um, the uh something else i find interesting too just because you've obviously you know existed within independent music for a long time and anytime anybody reaches any level of you know popularity or notoriety um you know people form opinions you know where it's like oh you know evan's earlier stuff is cool all his new stuff is terrible or vice versa like oh evan used to be terrible but like now he's got a good thing going on um like do you do you find just like people that you've obviously known for a long time and not i'm not so much speaking of like friends uh, from that perspective, but just kind of people you obviously have seen around for, you know, uh, a longer period of time. Um, do you feel like there's any sort of, uh, you know, uh, treatment, uh, in regards to like, you know, people treating you differently? Um, cause I know it's one of those things that does, uh, sometimes get weird when, uh, people may have a certain, you know, perception of you. Obviously you have no control over that, but, um, have you noticed anything like that or, or, uh, have conflicting feelings on that? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I, I, I know it's I know it's a hard thing to like put yourself in that in in that position because you know, like I said, not only do you not control the way people think about you, but uh, on top of that, you know, it's not like very many people are coming up to you to be like, "Oh, Evan, you used to be cool, but man, you're such a dickhole now." You know, it's like that doesn't happen. <laughs> or, I mean, I don't know about that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or maybe, or maybe, 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 maybe it does. I think if people thought I was a dickhole, maybe they probably just wouldn't speak to me anymore. <laughs> True. Good point. Um, I, you know, I. Uh, uh, people have a, and I'm guilty of it too, people get a, um, they have nostalgia for times in their life or particular records or things that they were into at a younger age. And um, I think people want to think that they want a band to do the same things over and over and over. Um, you know, but really, like, you know, a, a record could hit someone at the right time, at the right moment, 
and you could fall really in love with that particular album and then you hope to get that same experience from the next album from that band or group and you just don't you know and that's fair that's happened to me that does happen to me still you know and it's um you know, and I don't make it easy for people. <laughs> you know, like the stuff that I write is absolutely a, uh, it's, it takes time. You know, it, it takes, uh, it takes more than just one listen. It's not an immediate, it's not immediate delivery, you know. Um, so, you know, sure. I, you know, I, I, I haven't done anything different. I'm, I don't think I've changed as a human. I do think I'm less, um, I do think I'm probably less involved directly with a lot of things. You know, like I don't, you know, it's not just like me in my car pouring around anymore by myself, you know, and it's not me necessarily greeting the promoter at the beginning of the show and then settling with them at the end of the night necessarily anymore. And it's not, um, you know, I'm not playing in people's basements anymore. You know, like I'm not like at the house party hanging out and like meeting everybody and and, and mingling with the with the show the same way. And so that and that takes a long time. You know, that's like a that's a big part. That was a huge part of why this even did anything at all was just touring nonstop and being really involved. But it gets to a certain point where you just, for your own mental health, you just can't be involved at that level anymore. And that you do begin to need time for yourself and that you do begin to feel exhausted and you can't be present for everyone. Right. And it's not because you don't want to be. It's just because you, you could be overwhelmed. And so I've never, I don't, I mean, the, me, the person that I was five years ago is the same person that I am now. I'm just a little busier, maybe a little more frazzled than I used to be. And then because of that, I need to take more time for myself. And I think that, um, I hope that that doesn't translate into, um, me not caring or me not, um, me not having an opinion or me not, uh, wanting to be involved or me not wanting to be able to be there for everybody. It just comes to a point where you just can't anymore. Yeah, no, and, it's a it's a really it's a really important point because I, I think that it often you know people that I think that cross over into the um, you know oh they've changed sort of vibe. It's like I think the moment once you kind of buy into you the identity of you being completely entrenched within your band like obviously you know you can be excited for your successes and miserable when the band is failing or for whatever whatever case that is but you know at the end of the day like you obviously still need to be you the moment that you start to buy into your thing being like the hottest shit ever and so fucking cool that's when you do get to the you know oh my gosh who is that person you know but like you said the the, the emotional availability of people especially when it's like you know at the end of the day you're still you know playing to smaller crowds than you know you too is like obviously so it's like you have people can still come up to you and obviously dump a lot of stuff on you um just because of they have that one-sided relationship with you you know well i mean i also think it's uh you know i'm i'm I'm, i also prefer i really like you know my alone time i really appreciate it and it's a thing that i 
I value and that I don't get a ton of. And so, um, you know, it's funny, you were just talking about that thing and I had like nine thoughts go through my head about stuff I wanted to say about what you were talking about. Yeah. And I just like lost all of them. No, it's it's, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult because you, you know, when I see friends who I have, I have friends who play in, in bands that are much bigger than mine and, and I, they can't go to the mall. You know, they can't like walk around the street and it's like, that's, that sounds like my nightmare. Yes. You know, like I, right. <laughs> you know, like I just, I just want to write records. I don't give a shit about anything else except making art. And that's, you know, like if, if that, uh, if that, if that desire to, to create could ultimately lead to not being able to comfortably and, and quietly kind of go about your day and, and enjoy your city or any city or, or travel or, you know, that just sounds really painstaking. You know, I, um, it sounds difficult. Yeah. You know, and I think people get, people get attached to, to your music and, identify with it and then begin to realize or not realize they begin to think that they know you you know that like that you know something could be so personal and then they begin to think that like or you could like interact pretty well like via things like social media you know what i mean and then people people get a sense that they are your friend when really you've never met them Totally, and so and so. Then when they when you do be, when you behave in a way that seems maybe out of line with this person that they've invented in their head based on your music or your or your online presence, that somehow can really hurt people's feelings. But it's like, how are you able to determine? How are you able to create an idea of anybody based on? based on that information, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really weird, it's a really weird time that we live in. (laughs) Oh no, no, for sure. I mean, there's, there's obviously, there's no answer from that perspective. It's like everybody's navigating their own, um, their own minefield of whatever it is like, you know, of, especially when, when you put something out there into the world, from an artistic perspective you're not only are you subject to obviously the criticism that comes along with it but then any sort of like like you said people paying attention to what you're doing um this was actually something i was going to ask a little bit later but um i I can segue nicely into this was you know you uh, you're obviously an extremely sarcastic dude you know like you like to goof it like you you like you like to goof it up you're funny from that perspective um but then obviously your music doesn't uh translate into that yeah like there's obviously witticism within the context of your lyrics but um are people surprised like you know when they see because you you goof around live too you know it's like you're not you're not obviously getting up there just being like hey everybody i'm evan this is into it over. You know, it's like you're you're not this dour dude. So like are people, you know, do do you find that people are, are kind of surprised that you are just kind of a you know, a goofball? <laughs> I, I think I, I I think I rub people the wrong way. Yeah. I, 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 you, oh, oh really? Yeah. So you, I, you know, like I, I it has you know, I'm dude, I'm born and raised in fucking South New Jersey. And so many of my friends here since I've lived in Chicago, they don't sometimes it takes going to where I grew up and meeting some of the people that I grew up with and seeing how all of us interact for, 
for some of my friends to get why I am the way that I am. Like, that Symmetry made a record in New Jersey just recently. We did it over the summer. And Eric and Marcus, I mean, Eric's from New Jersey, so he kind of gets it, but he's from, he's from North Jersey, and he's never met any of my buddies before. And Marcus was born and raised right around here, and so he, you know, I bring them to basically the town I grew up, and they meet all of my friends in a matter of three weeks. And we make our way home after the after doing the record. And, you know, Marcus was like, man, I can, it completely makes sense to me now. I know why you are the way you are. Like, this is your friend circle, and this is the way you guys goof around. And, like, it's nothing like anyone I've met in Chicago, really. And so, um, but yeah, so, you know, we appreciate... Uh, busting each other's balls. And if you're from the New Jersey, Philadelphia area, you're kind of like the bastard, bastard stepchild of New York or uh, Boston or, you know, you got a lot to prove. You got a lot to, you got to kind of get a dish it out maybe a little harder than, than some of the other cities surrounding you. But at the same time, that kind of comes with a level of humility and a level of uh, being able to take a joke as well as, as dish one out. Yeah, Which, we, and I can be, and I and I am you know I'm guilty of being overly sensitive plenty of the time, but you know if if I know that the joke or the or the uh, if if you're able to tell that the that the humor is coming from a place of love, then it's totally this kind of like this kind of thing that is is readily acceptable for me. And I'm guilty like I assume that everyone's on the level. And my, my vibe is kind of like abuse is the most sincere form of affection. I'm like that bully on the playground that's just like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I, if I really like you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dish it out a little bit. And my desired response is for it to be dished back, you know, and sometimes people don't, don't understand or fully comprehend that that's the vibe. And, and I find myself having to make apologies for things I've said to people quite a bit because, um, which sucks even worse because you're like, you know, trying to, trying to just like, you're like, no, I'm doing this because I really like you. You know, like, I really like you. And that's <laughs> right, why right. I'm being so candid with you right now. Like, and if I didn't like you, I wouldn't say anything at all. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even, you know, you, you would know if I didn't like, you know, like if I didn't like somebody, I'm, I'm pretty clear about it, you know, and it's, uh, but like that kind of like teasing and, and playful humor, that's like my love language, you know? And so, I've, I have caught in flack for that, and I have uh, um, people think I'm being sarcastic all the time, and I'm not. I have, you know, it's just I have ticks and, and little things about me that um, that kind of make me sound or talk the way that I do, and, and it's not. Uh, it's definitely every, everything I'm coming. Everything I say is coming from a genuine place. If I'm if I'm saying something mean, you'll know it, and if I'm saying something if I'm saying anything else, then I'm not being mean. <laughs> you know, like, if you know, if you know that I'm not being mean, then, you know, I, I don't know how to explain that totally, but... Yeah, no, I, uh, I yeah, yeah, you could, uh, you, you can see right through your statements, like, you, you, there's no veiled uh, hostility. You're like, yo, you know that this is, I'm coming at you. Or, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like... Or, or, you know that I'm coming at you from a loving place. That's, I mean, that's, that's what I think, you know, and I, you know, <laughs> some people get that, and some people don't, and I, you know, I, I've tried my best to, to explain and right, uh, yeah, that's it. You know, but yeah, totally. I'm totally a fucking smartass, man. Like I, I have a problem with authority, and I, and I, I, uh, you know, speak through my teeth sometimes, and um, you know, and I am not afraid to say something that 
other people may be afraid to say. Like, I'm not afraid to say things that other people may be afraid to say. Right, yeah, yeah. Because you'll shoot, I also, you'll shoot you know, from the hip. Yeah, I want to keep it real. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to fucking pull the wall over anyone's eyes about any, about any shit, you know? Yeah. So. Um, the last thing I would hit on was uh, just kind of um, the idea, just because you have, uh, you know, experienced a, a lot of different, you know, what I would imagine would be surreal moments, whether it's like playing a big show, whether it's getting, you know, a cool review or anything like that. Um, and I know those things are obviously like, um, you know, fleeting, like you feel happy for it for a moment. And then obviously you're looking for like, okay, what do I have to do next? Um, you know, do you, do you have like moments that you kind of like flip back in your own head where it's just like, oh, wow. Like, and it doesn't even have to be this, you know, uh, iconic moment of, you know, you playing in front of a thousand people for the first time or something like that. Uh, but do you have things that you kind of like refer back to that's like, oh man, that's, that's wild. Or you get reminded of, and it's like, dude, that's, you know, I'm so glad I experienced that. I, uh, yeah, there are a few. Do you want me to name them? Oh, but, I, too. hey, man, you get uh, that, that is why I brought it up, my friend. <laughs> okay, um, I played a festival called Gros Rock in Belgium a few years ago, and I I brought over this really cheap acoustic guitar. It was, it was uh, I'd been touring on this one guitar for years. I finally bought like a really nice one. I'd saved up for like a year and a half and bought a really nice acoustic guitar. And, but in the meantime, I still had these kind of like two beater guitars, which was what I toured on for the first four or five years I was doing into it over it. And, uh, and so I flew with one of the beaters over to this festival called Gros Rock. I played this festival and, um, or like I'm about to play and I'm talking about the flight back. Cause I was only in Belgium for like 48 hours. I like flew in, was going to play and then was going to fly her back home. So the guitar to check the guitar on the way home was going to cost more than the guitar was worth. So instead of bringing the guitar with me back on the plane, I smashed the guitar in front of 3,000 people. <laughs> and that's, when I think about like really fun moments of the band, that's one of the first ones that pop into my mind. Um, and I still have to like, into it over to go and play in Europe and they'll be like, man, we saw you at Gross Rock. And, and uh, you know, and, and you and you smashed the guitar. It was it was amazing. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, man, I was just like some hundred dollars like, <laughs> shitty Yamaha guitar. I didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with that anymore. I thought it was like such a good funeral for that guitar to just, you know, destroy it in front of all these people. Which I, you know, that's one of my favorite memories I'll ever have. Uh, no, that's awesome because okay. yeah, it's it's so uh, obviously it's so theatrical, and uh, you know you're making such a strong statement when in reality, like the origin of that statement is just like I don't want to fucking take this thing back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to, I don't want to bring it back. Um, I said there that they recorded our last EP Analog Weekend with it was the very last day that Ed Rose owned Black Lodge. Which uh, we thought was a pretty was a pretty cool way to see Black Lodge go out, and um, I think Ed was I you know I'd never seen Ed so happy like he was he was very psyched to be relieved of that studio, and um, and we made that record to tape, which is his favorite medium, his favorite way to record, and so that that recording experience was just such a blast. Like everyone was in a great mood. Um, we tracked the whole thing in two days. It was just like so quick and so easy and so painless and um such a fun album to make that that's a really great experience uh watching texas is the reason play their very last show of all time quote unquote right in london which was which was crazy until the you know john um john bunch yeah the john bunch stuff came up and and um you know which i gave you know 
as a as a joke, as a cute joke, was kind of like, if you're ever going to play another show ever, you have to ask me to play. Like I saw the last one, and I, that's like something that's really important to me that I got to play the last show. And so, I, you know, <laughs> obviously, you know, uh, all the love in the world to John and, and John's family, and, and um, you know, I gave Norm a little bit of like, you gotta, you gotta see if I can play this festival. Like I gotta go. <laughs> right. Know, like, Let's pull this together, man. Um. You know, and and uh, and I think you know, like the, one of my favorite memories is, um, you know, like one of the biggest things was just seeing how in 2010 and 2011 our community of bands that were just kind of like playing in basements and and communicating over email were somehow able to kind of make a m- movement out of ourselves for a minute. You know that that was uh, that was really exciting. You know, I, I, there was a time when kind of no one knew what to expect and everybody was kind of gaining popularity at a rate that we weren't really sure what was going on. And, um, you know, and I, I, it was, it felt invigorating to be involved in a, in a movement like that. And I, you know, and I wasn't one of the forerunners at all. I was, I was kind of towards the back, but, um, I was like pull up the rear. I was, you know. <laughs> yeah, you. Well, but, no, but it's. Yeah, I mean, I was there. But I was there, but I was, you know, it wasn't like I wasn't, you know, like loud speed or anything. Where it's like, you know, they they are a massive band, and um, yeah, you know, but uh, you know, to feel involved and to feel like I was a part of that was was uh, was pretty special, you know. And so, um, you know, and it showed that DIY works. You know, it's it's a thing that that. Um, it's not an outdated concept. It's not something that like you don't need big money behind. Like a band doesn't need big money behind them to be able to be successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know it was it was really really cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I I I might the experiences that I've had since I've done this project. You know, like I do when I started doing this cover, it was strictly because I just didn't want to have to find another job. You know, like I done one European tour, came home to find myself being unemployed. And was like, well, if I don't. If I don't keep doing this now, this is it. I'm, I'm not going to get another shot. And so, any 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 situation that I found myself in since 2010 has strictly been that of fortune. And um, you know, and I feel privileged to be able to uh, even you know to make a modest living doing what I do now. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that, that that's the headspace you want to stay in, obviously, being grateful. And um, obviously, you need to stay humble being the, uh, you know, mayor of Emotown. So it's, uh, you know. Who said, who ever made that fucking comment? Uh, actually, I never made that up. No, <laughs> I, I, I just, it's so, it's so adorable when obviously there's all that, you know, press coverage. And a, anytime I read any sort of, uh, you know, lauding towards you in regards to that, I was just always like, oh my God, like who, who thinks of this shit? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever gone. I don't think I've ever gone on record saying that in Twitter it was an emo band. No, I don't think I've ever said that. <laughs> totally. You know, so like, I, you know, I, I was thinking about that the other day. Someone was like, you, you know, we did, I did an interview in Australia. Someone was like, yeah, do you consider yourself to be, uh, do you consider yourself to be the leader of the emo revival? And I did not know what the fuck to say to that. I was like, I don't, I don't think I literally ever said that about my own music. No. But I've never, I've never denied it, but I've never come out and said it, you know, and it's, and it's. And I don't, you know, again, I don't, if people have something to say about it, I don't, you know, I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's not, yeah. Call, call it whatever you want. Are you, are you, 
Are you at the show? Cool. I cool. don't care what you call me. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. But, uh, you know, I don't know how that rumor got started. That's like a, you know, yeah. just because I, I probably, you know, because of my association with, with Top Shelf and Counter Lucky Stars, and, and um, which are great labels and great people who do really taking care of me. And like I said earlier, when you're like, when you're a young band and you're getting started, you have limited options. And when your options are people that are, uh, your friends and who are friendly people who are like-minded and um, and want the best for you while also wanting the best for their label that is you know to me, in my opinion a perfect parent you know what I mean like I I, w- I would take working with a label that was friendly over working with a label with money any day you know no so, absolutely well Evan I I love you, man. I love talking to you. <laughs> I really appreciate uh, you hanging out with me. This is uh, this has been fun, and I'm I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, you know, uh, I, I guess for real, even though the first one was real, but this one is more real. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm happy to do this anytime. I, I feel like there's a lot we didn't even get to touch oh, on too. I, so I know, yeah, yeah. You could just be. It's like maybe you could just be the quarterly guest. It's like every every three months, it's just be like, yep, it's it's uh, Evan time again. Let's see where let's see where things yeah. are at now. That's like I'm trying to think of like a good a good comparison to that. There's like a like what's like a was that like when Seinfeld was on the Tonight Show, right? He was just like on every month, right? Yeah, that was like part of the. <laughs> yeah, good, good, very good point. Yeah, we can think of uh, we can think of a catchy name for your segment, um, and yeah, I think <laughs> and I think we're off. So wait, there was Evan, and uh, like I said, just just great convo, right? I was uh, I really enjoy when I can kind of. Um, you know, obviously use my own personal experience with the person and then be able to uh, shine a light in different places that, you know, maybe they didn't think about, you know, because obviously as an individual, you, as long as you're not an ego centric narcissist, you tend to not think about yourself too much. Only when a a person kind of, you know, shines a mirror in your direction and is like, oh yeah, I see why I'm like that. So I uh, always like doing that to people. So thank you very much, Evan. And uh, for you, the listener, I, uh, I'm just always feel so much in debt to the people who are checking this out. And I understand it's free. It, uh, you know, maybe takes up an hour of your week, but it, uh, it, it really, really means a lot to me. And, uh, I, I sometimes maybe think that I don't uh, do a good enough job congratulating you and thanking you for not only showing an interest in the show, but obviously showing a dedication to independent music and independent train of thought. And, um, ultimately, uh, feeling this positiveness that emanates from music because it's given me so many positive things in my life that uh, I love to essentially give back to this thing that's uh, given me everything. So ultimately, and uh, you're engaging in that. So I appreciate that. But the music, as always, is from Lowercase Noises, a incredible individual, and he makes some beautiful, beautiful, haunting, incredible music. So you can find him on Bandcamp or anywhere else you consume music. And uh, email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And um, should I tell you next week? I know I always kind of tease that, but uh, I'm always going to tell you, okay? <laughs> so the uh, episode next week, which will be, uh, you know, uh, Thanksgiving time, right? Like the, I think the day before Thanksgiving. So hopefully you'll be having um, no meat on your plate, right? Don't kill a turkey, please. How about you have some uh, mashed potatoes or something instead? Or uh, some, you know what I what I used to do? Uh, make, some, uh, make some ravioli, you know? Maybe some butternut squash or something like that. So, uh... There we go. There's another political opinion that many people will be like, oh, yeah, well, I can't believe you're talking about this stuff. But anyways, the whole point of this is the fact that Jeff Rosenstock is on the show next week and we had such a fun conversation. Um, it'll be uh, it was it was just wide ranging and fun. And because obviously he's a very, very fun and engaged dude. So 
that is next week. And, um, yes, please be safe, everybody. And like I mentioned earlier, please keep uh, my wife in your thoughts. And, um, yeah, I love you all. And I truly do mean that, even though we may not have met, I, I do love you because you are consuming this thing that I uh, work very hard on. So thank you. And please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.